Good morning. Try it one more time. Good morning. Welcome here to at worship here at Springfield Church the Brethren. It is November the 22nd. I'm so happy to have all of you here. I, I have my own special joy announcement. My parents are joining us today. So, hi, Mom and Dad. <laughs> um, yes, as we move into worship, I invite you to take a look at the announcements. Um, Camp Inspiration Hills and that big warm uh, windstorm that we just recently had. I know you're all probably still cleaning up. We just burned a pile that was about four feet high worth of branches that fell down. Um, they had a number of trees fall on buildings and just around camp. If you are able to come out, um, they're looking especially at the folks that have a chainsaw, uh, to give them a hand um, to contact the camp. Um, Dale, specifically Dale Allen, who's the facilities director down there, he would love some help in uh, cutting up and removing uh, all that wood. And it doesn't say it on here, but I will say, I think on the original message that went out, you're welcome to take some of that wood home. Uh, commissions, let the office know your commission reorganization along with news and activities for the November and December announced announcements in the bulletins and newsletters and whatnot. Uh, we have a meeting this, um, well, this is November now, so we don't have a meeting next month. So get that out now, let them know what's going on. So we're ready to go with that. Uh, poinsettias, it's time for poinsettias. And you have in your bulletin a wonderful little order sheet. Uh, have those in by November the 29th, which is, I believe, next Sunday. Um, for the poinsettias as we go into the Christmas season. Are there any other announcements? So uh, if we are looking to play music before worship starts, starting about 20 minutes ahead of worship, uh, if you have any Christian music or Christmas, I'm guessing Christmas Christian music especially, that you would like to share, stick it in Renee, Renee's box. Um, they do need to be CDs because of the way our system works. For those of you who are joining from home, however, we will not be able to play that to you due to CCLI license rules. So Milton Kurtz has moved, um, but does need some help getting moved into the house, getting things sorted and placed in everything. If you are willing and able to, to go, you can give him a call or reach out to our sister Bev and she'll help uh, get 
you in contact in time available. Uh, his address did just go out on the prayer chain. If you have not received it and you usually get prayer chain emails or haven't been getting prayer chain emails, let the office know and make sure that we we get your name added into the prayer chain list. I have known that some names are being missed and I'm not sure why, and I have to just go in and correct it in the system. As we move into our time of prayer, I ask that you remember the Klein family this week. Donna passed away. That is Doug and Chris and David's mother passed away this last week. Um, so hold them in your hearts as they go through this new time and this new world, especially coming upon the Christmas season and Thanksgiving season. Uh, prayers also for Russell Klein, who just got married the Saturday before last. He's not feeling well, and it's not a positive at this point, but he is um, showing signs of coronavirus at this time. Are there any other prayers that you wish to lift up today? Prayers for Gail's daughter-in-law, Ashley, who we remembered a week or so ago as well, that she's, she's at home right now um, due to an accident she had last August. Um, there was a concussion, and she's dealing with memory issues along with other health issues, so continued prayers for her. Pastor, if you're just a joy that your mom and dad are here, <laughs> Thank you, Renee. I'm not going to repeat that one. <laughs> I feel a little embarrassed by that, but it is a joy to have my parents here. <laughs> Janice. We are also, and I will add this in, we are having special music today that uh, our sister Janice has worked very hard on, along with the choir sitting up here and recording us as we all sang to the music playing in our ears and hoping it sounded okay. <laughs> At least that's what my brain was thinking the whole time. Uh, so I hope you enjoy that as we get to that today, and I hope everything works right. We'll see. I don't know. It hasn't been our morning for technology. <laughs> if you will join us as we enter this time of prayer, listening to our opening music.
if you'll pray with me. Holy Creator, we thank you that we are able to gather here together and worship you. But we feel the empty space. Those who aren't here because of this virus. We're staying home. We ask that you continue to watch over them. To watch over all of us. To keep people safe from COVID. We ask that people are doing things to help keep back this virus. We lift up today the Klein family as they mourn the loss of a wife, a mother, a grandma. Hold them close as they go through this process and get used to a world where they don't get to see her every day. We lift up Russell and pray that he gets well. We lift up Ashley and pray her body heals. We give thanks that we are still a family. Even though we may not all gather in here together, we give thanks that we are e- live in an age where we can write to one another, that we can talk to one another. We can even see one another face to face, though thousands of miles may separate us. We're glad for those moments when we're still able to be with the ones we love. As we go into this period of thanksgiving, as we move towards the season when we prepare ourselves for Christ's coming. Give us strength to celebrate even if the times are a little darker. Amen. For those of you who are joining us from home, if you have a hard time hearing or seeing this video, I will invite you to check it out on YouTube at a later time because we will post it there as well.
Thank you so much, Janice. Thank you to all the choir members that helped me make that Thank you to all the choir members. It was a little weird to see all your faces uncovered. <laughs> I hope we get to do that more. Uh, today's reading comes from Philippians, first chapter 3 through 11. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of the partnership in gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it out to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you. 
since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen. It's a little warm for the jacket. So this coming Thursday, as you probably all know, is Thanksgiving, the celebration of Thanksgiving, the American celebration of Thanksgiving, though it may look a little different this time around. Family gatherings may be a little smaller, as some of our family may choose not to travel or may not choose not to gather, and some of our family and friends may not be able to leave the homes that they are in. All these things done to help slow this disease and give our medical workers the best possible chance of saving the most lives. But this is hardly the first time that Thanksgiving has happened under trying circumstances. I mean, for us in the U.S., Thanksgiving has always been connected with bad hardships. I mean, so the first one was proclaimed by Lincoln, the first modern one. That was 1863. Now, if, if you're a bit of a history lover or know your Civil War history, 19, 1863 was a big year for the Civil War. The Confederates had gotten the farthest they had ever gone. They'd reached what was known as the high water mark. But it was also the year that that high water mark was that, just that, the most they reached. Lee was driven back at Gettysburg. Vicksburg fell to Grant in the Union, was able to split the Confederacy in two. Lincoln proclaimed a thanksgiving in celebration of the victories of the Union and a thank you to the sacrifices of the nation's peoples and God's providence. Grant later would enshrine this holiday why it's passed down to us. Now, the first one, the, the first national one, though technically we weren't even a nation yet, was 1777. And it was proclaimed by the Continental Congress in York, Pennsylvania. If you didn't know, there was a time where little York, Pennsylvania was the capital of our nation, but that's because 1777 had been a horrible year for the rebellion. It had opened, yes, Sort of, technically it happened in 1776, the Christmas of that, but give or take. It opened with Trenton, the Battle of Trenton, a victory for, for Washington and for the, the Patriots. They really needed that because they had just recently lost New York City. But by the end of the year, they were on a losing streak again. They had lost Philadelphia, which was the original capital. And Washington and the army were hunkering down at Valley Forge. The Continental Congress had fled first to Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and then on to York. 
And the proclamation was written first by Samuel Adams, at least the first draft, and then they edited it. In one long run-on sentence, part of it reads, It is therefore recommended to set apart a Thursday, the 18th day of December, next, for solemn thanksgiving and praise, that at one time, with one voice, the good people may express the grateful feelings of their hearts and consecrate themselves to the service of their divine benefactor, and that, together with their sincere acknowledgments and offerings, they may join the penitent confession of their manifold sins, whereby they have forfeit, forfeited every favor and their humble and earnest supplication that it may please God, through the merits of Jesus Christ, mercifully be forgiven and blot them out in remembrance. I know a few English teachers who would have cringed at that one long line. But this Thanksgiving was asking people to still come and gather and remember despite the fact that things weren't going well and to turn closer to God and one another. But of course, the most famous is 1621. That's the one at Plymouth. It had been a hard year for the first pilgrims who had come there. Of the hundred who had landed at Plymouth Rock, half of them had died. Literally, it was just 50 left. But they had made it. They had made it through the help of their neighbors, the local native tribes, and they had somehow managed to build new homes and have a bountiful harvest. And so they gathered together to thank God for all of that, the 50 pilgrims and the 90 natives, to celebrate the harvest, to give thanks to, the God, to God. And I will add, as a footnote to this story, that apparently the entire meal was just cooked by four women. Actually, there's an asterisk to that fact. It was four women plus their servants and the children. But having cooked with a child in the kitchen before, I'm not sure if that makes it easier or harder. It's impossible for us to separate Thanksgiving from times of hardship. It either reminds us that in hard times, God is with us or it is in celebration, seeing how God has led us from trial to triumph. Our Thanksgiving may be uniquely American. I mean, we eat a lot of foods that are native to the Americas, turkey, corn, potatoes, cranberries, the list goes on, pumpkins. It's a really American meal. But it, it's not, the celebration itself stretches back. We have feast of Thanksgiving as far back as we have had people harvesting fields. You go back as far as agriculture goes, you find feast of Thanksgiving. We know we can't make it on our own. It takes at least other people to help us. And it takes God to get us through. And so we gather as a group to pray, to thank God, and to celebrate one another. Paul talks about this, this thanksgiving of being together, 
of supporting one another. Now, when he receives this gift, which is why he writes the letter, he's in prison and he receives a gift from the Philippians. We don't know which prison he's in. He doesn't state it. Most likely, this is after his first two years of Ro in Rome, because at some point, he's moved out of house arrest and into a prison. And it's a little tougher. But he gets a gift from the Philippians by this man named Ephroditus. He's a Christian from Philippi. And he bears this gift along with the news of what's happening there. And Paul is grateful and concerned by everything he hears from Ephroditus. He's concerned because, well, it's not easy to be a Christian in Philippi. Perhaps it's not easy to be a Christian in Philippi more than most places in the empire. It all starts about 400 years ahead of, of Paul. This guy named King Philip II of Macedonia, which we all remember as the father of Alexander the Great, actually conquered this small town. And under his rule, it grew from this small town to be a major city and a center of commerce, trade, and rule for the area. But then it was conquered by the Romans, as was all of what's modern-day Greece, basically. But the city was made famous then because it was the place of battle between those who had followed Caesar and those who had assassinated him. It was there that the armies under Mark Antony and Octavius defeated the armies of Marcus Junius Brutus and Gaius Cassius Longius. Don't say that sometimes first. After the battle, though, the victors, Mark Antony and Octavius, decided to settle a lot of the army there. They wanted to make sure the place stayed under good, strong, and their Roman control. So they divided the land up into homesteads, and the soldiers each got their own section. This was actually pretty standard for Roman Empire. If you may remember in the New Testament, they, Jesus spent some time in the area called the Decapolis, which means the Ten Cities, which was an area where that's what they did. They settled a whole bunch of former legionnaires into the area to keep it under control. They even went a step farther, though, with this city. The city of Philippi ended up being shifted from being a regular colony or place of, like, a territory of Rome, and they put it under the Roman municipal law. If you lived in Rome, you had extra privileges. And so they extended it to those who live in Philippi. So you ended up with a city that was more Roman than all the surrounding territories, full of Roman soldiers, full of their families, their descendants. They were more nationalistic, more patriotic, and they worshipped the empire, and they worshipped the emperor as a god. So this meant, of course, Christian Philippians were not well-liked. I mean, they, they rejected militants. They rejected the worship of the empire, of the emperor of, well, Roman way of life, and instead gave allegiance only to God. I mean, if we look at Acts, it's one of the bigger sections is Paul's time in Philippi, and it doesn't go well for Paul. 
He's beaten while he is there. He's imprisoned while he is there. It's there that he's in prison and there's that big earthquake that cracks open the jail. And he could have escaped, but he stays so that the jailer wouldn't lose his life. The authorities ended up escorting him out of the city as fast as they could because when they found out he, that Paul himself was actually a Roman citizen, which is different than your run-of-the-mill person under the Roman rule, they decided, yeah, we're not going to risk getting the higher-up authorities angry at us not going by due process. So they kicked him out. The, the people who lived in Philippi weren't so lucky. We aren't told, but we can pretty well guess they were living under the threat of and actual persecution for their faith. It probably wasn't very easy being a Christian there. Paul spends a lot of the letter talking about himself and his friends, how their ministries are thriving despite their persecution. He talks about Timothy, who has basically taken Paul's position as the Christian preacher who goes around the empire starting new churches. He talks about Ephroditus, that man who came with the gifts to help support Paul while he was in prison, who then catches a deadly disease while in prison with Paul and nearly dies of it. Paul talks about examples of Christians continuing to live and preach the gospel in an empire that is increasingly dangerous to live in and be Christian. In his short note near the beginning, Paul talks about himself. Paul talks about how his imprisonment is actually a gift. That as he's able to still live his call and he's spreading the gospel while he's there, Paul goes as far as saying, for, for me, to live is, Chris, is Christ. I, uh, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in this body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart to be with Christ, which is better for me by far but it is more necessary for you that I remain here in this body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you, again, your boasting in Christ will abound on account of me. Paul is ready to be with Jesus but he knows that his trials are not over, and he knows that through those trials, he will lead far more to the gospel. Paul seems to be saying to those believers in Philippi, look, I know it's bad there. I know that being Christian, especially being Christian publicly, is hard. But you too are doing great work, just like I am. And God is with you even though you are being persecuted. Paul is speaking as one who's living in impossibly hard circumstances to those who are living in other impossibly hard circumstances. These things will pass. 
Live true to your faith through them. Because on the other side is Jesus and the kingdom. But of course, things aren't perfect in Philippi. They never are within things. And that's half of the, uh, that's basically all the letters in the New Testament is talking about some problem in a church. There's division within the group. And if there's anything that makes going through a hardship harder, it's when the family isn't unified, when there's division. Though I have to say, after looking at this last election, perhaps I'm guessing there is more than a few people who are kind of happy not to gather around a table and have a political conversation with their family. But Paul points to the struggles in the Philippian church. It's the same one that's always plagued Paul. Over and over again, Paul has the same fight. Legalism. There's a voice of a vocal group within the Christians. It's not a very big group, but it's a really, really vocal group. Many of them are from Jewish backgrounds. Most of them are actually Pharisees, formerly, before they became Christians. And they want people to continue to follow the Torah standard in their Christianity, specifically circumcision. That's kind of like the big question of the time. What do we do about circumcision? Now, this has been decades decided. Decades before this, the apostles all gathered with James, the brother of Jesus, and Paul, and Barnabas, and some others, and they put out a proclamation saying, hey, just, you know, don't live immorally, don't worship idols, and don't eat the wrong kind of foods, which is basically anything with blood in it, like still in the food. And other than that, you're okay. You don't have to live the rest of the Torah. But there's still this group that keep pressing and saying, no, we need to follow the rules. Paul's empathetic to them. He reminds them, look, I was a Pharisee. I wasn't just a Pharisee. I was a Pharisee's Pharisee. I was the most Pharisee you've ever seen. I held every rule. I used the measuring stick of following the rules as the way you told how righteous you are. But then he says, but looking back, that's garbage. Actually, the Greek word he uses, which does translate to garbage, was considered a profane word. It wasn't a very nice word. If there's an English equivalent that I won't say in the pulpit, but you can probably all guess what it would have been. And Paul pleads with the believers to remain unified, to let those who live by the standards, go ahead, live by the standards. He actually doesn't say this to the Philippians, but we know he says that to the Romans. Look, if you want to live that way, live that way. That's your choice. It doesn't keep you from Christ doesn't get you any close to the Christ, but that's okay. And look, those of you who, who want to live that standard, you can't force it on anyone else. That's not the way to Christ. That's their choice. Paul then also calls out these two women, Eudea and Saitike. I probably butchered those names. But these two women are having a spat. They're both believers, supporters of Paul, and major pillars of the church of Philippi. 
he says, look, set your differences aside. They're keeping you from preaching and living the gospel. I do feel a little bad for them. I mean, I think if Paul knew that we were still going to be reading this letter 2,000 years ago, he may not have called them out by name in it. It's kind of like knowing the only thing that history will remember about you is your dad once turned around and said, look, if you two don't start fighting, I might turn this car around. But it's an almost afterthought. Paul sticks it right there at the end. He just wants to make sure this church is unified, that they're preaching the gospel, they're living the gospel together under this time of persecution. And then he closes, echoing those opening verses that we read at the beginning, thanking them for their gift, for their generosity, for God's generosity, and the providence that has led him to meeting them in the first place. Now, we live in a different time. We live in a different world than Paul did in so many ways. But we still like to gather around the table with family and friends to thank God. You know, we, we opened up this in thinking about Thanksgiving, which is this Thursday. But we as Christians have been celebrating Thanksgiving for 2,000 years. Every time the Christians gathered to worship, they would have what we brethren call the love feast. They would sit and eat together and celebrate the communion. They probably didn't always wash feet, but maybe they did. I don't know. Some did. We do know that. Eventually, as time passed, the feast fell away, but they still gathered every week and they celebrated the communion. And eventually the communion and the worship changed into something we now see. But we still use that old word for the communion. At least our Lutheran and even you like Reformed traditions and especially the Catholics still use the old Latin name, Eucharist. Eucharist translates to holy thanksgiving. They gather to thank God every single week. Yes, Thanksgiving this year is going to look a little different. It's not going to be normal. But we still need it. We still need that reminder, however it works. Whether it's done with a computer open up in front of you, so that you're able to join your family across distance, or whether you are calling people or writing letters and sending notes. Yes, it'll look different. But we need it. Just as we come back here week after week, whether digital or in person, to give thanks to God. Because we know we can't do this ourselves. We can't do it without divine help. And we can't do it without one another. Times are trying right now. We can't know how good we have it in God, though, how good we have it in community, unless we go through the trials sometimes. I wish it wasn't that way. Lord, I really wish it wasn't that way. But when we come out of the other side, I'm so thankful 
that I got to do that with my brothers and my sisters. And I'm so thankful I get to say, God, thank you for getting me through that. It's with joy. I know what my Thanksgiving is going to look like already. My, my in-laws are coming down. I'm actually going to spend a lot of it sitting out next to the smoker. I'm looking forward to trying. This will be the first time I smoke a turkey. Hope it goes well. But I might be grateful for that little bit of time that I get to spend with them, just as I've been I'm very grateful that I got to see my parents for just this little bit of time. And I get to, I'll celebrate that with joy. Knowing there will be another day. Another day in Christ. Someday, eventually, I will get to not wear the mask. Then I'll get to go see my great-grandma, or my grandma. My daughter will get to meet her great-grandma. But I'll approach that with joy. And I'll approach each of those little times of celebration with joy, even if I'm living in a world that seems a little grayer than usual. Thank you, God. Thank you. that old verse we love to quote and we sing about where it says we shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace it doesn't always feel like that I know it doesn't always feel like the mountains are bowing down and the trees are clapping sometimes it feels like the trees are falling and the mountains are earthquakes but I'm still happy I get to look at the mountains, and I get to be held up by those I love. Let's keep giving thanks, even when it's a little hard. Amen. Oh,